Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? Welcome to episode 108 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I'm Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today, we welcome Ian Metzger from Deer in the Headlights and The Gentle Hits. Gentle Hits had an album come out late last year, and Deer in the Headlights put out a couple records on Equal Vision in the mid-2000s that were sorely overlooked by many. I recently connected with Ian again, and we spoke about his time writing a Gentle Hits record. Part of the reason this took forever to come out was that we spoke a lot about our fathers during this episode, and for a while it was hard for me to listen and edit. Ian lost his uh, stepdad, and I lost my father. It's been about a year since my dad's passing, so some things take a little longer than expected, and this was one of them. So this month as well, I spent a lot of time reflecting on what's next for the podcast and this site itself, and I look forward to sharing those with you very, very soon. Thanks to Ian for his patience. Thanks for your being a listener of the podcast. It means a lot. Thank you. This is episode 108 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Ian Metzger from Deer in the Headlights and the Gentle Hits. Welcome to the Washed Up Emo podcast. I don't consider you guys washed up just yet, but I think <laughs> almost, almost. Uh, and for the listeners out there, um, you know, full disclosure: I worked during the headlights record. I know Ian, so if you hear me telling inside jokes, that is because we know each other. I will explain what they are as we move as we go forward. But that is the <laughs> just so you know. Um, so Ian, you have been, uh, doing a lot of things. I know you have a new band called the gentle hits. Um, and you, you know, previously a lot of people know you from deer in the headlights, you know, it seemed there was a great audience for it, but then there were times when I think no one got it. No one was paying attention. Yeah. I, yeah, it's funny because we've talked, we've been talking about this recently because I feel like there's this whole other group. I don't know if it's just from being uh, from Arizona or something where you're just kind of like just slightly removed from what's really going on it's gotten a little better but like i don't know it's i don't know it's gotten a little more more like southern california i guess recently but um yeah i felt like uh it didn't really ever concern me or bother me you know it wasn't like oh god i don't fit in here i I, you know i felt like that most of my life anyway so that's never really like a serious concern um but uh there was the feeling that at times maybe even like EVR was just kind of like, this band's really good. I just don't really know what to do with this. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, and I don't know if it was just because of the media out, outlets that, um, that they had at the time, you know, or they had a majority of the access to, 
um, were just kind of headed this other way where we were, we were a band that was more influenced by like a different kind of indie scene and not so much like the, um, like the screamo or the emo or, or what, you know, whatever you want to call all the different delineations of rock and roll music. <laughs> but like, you know, we were coming from like, um, bands like mineral and bands like, like the Gloria record or like, you know, Christy front drive or, you know, mock orange or braid or, you know, these, just these other bands that kind of just stayed super small indie bands and didn't, didn't ever turn into um, like a death cab for cutie or something that might be in that same category, you know? What now, what year did the first record come out? In 2006, I think was 2006. When the first came out. So that, yeah. that was fucking high noon. It was like yeah. high noon of all the shit. <laughs> like bright eyes and, uh, and you know, there was so much going on at that time. Yeah. For sure. But you're right. Yeah. I mean, the, and me working there would be honestly and say, you know, there, there were times like you guys and snaked across the crown, which were another band that yeah. were in that sort yep. of same. That was the, that was the other band, you know, that was, it was like the, it, us being on EVR, it was like, well, it's okay. Cause snaked across the crown put out that record. So now you're, it's fine for you guys to be there too. You know, it's kind of like. <laughs> they didn't, they didn't warn you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but at that time, you're totally right about the outlets and even me working there, um, you know, speaking as a third party, kind of looking outside of it. Now it was hard because no one listened yeah. to you when you had something that was different. I mean, for, a, they were like, Oh, you're going to send us a hardcore record. And when you didn't, it was tough because the booking agents were in that world and the press outlets were, and it was right. no one's fault. It was just, that's right. what the era was. And it was hard to break down those walls using a hardcore reference, but you know, it was hard to break that down where you could easily get a warp tour slot, but we couldn't help get a bright eyes spot. Well, that, and it was funny too, cause we were, we were so half and half. It's like in the same year that we did Coachella and Bonnaroo, we did warps tour. Yeah, you're right. You know, so so we were just like this, just that band where everyone's like, I don't know, I think everybody should like this, but we don't know how to get it to anybody. <laughs> you know, it's like, so funny. And it's interesting too, the, the what socials were available and what marketing and what things you guys could do. Yeah, uh, it was yeah. it was just it was just a different time. Yeah, it was just like it was uh, the MySpace was dominating the. Uh, the online deal. Facebook was just kind of getting going. How did you guys feel about that? Having those, those prim, not, not primitive because it was pretty advanced at the time thinking about that, but you having to handle those and figure out what to do. And, um, you know, and I've always, I've always hated that stuff. I, I, um, I still do. And mm-hmm. it's not a, uh, it's not a, a sense of like, um, I'm I'm too good for like social engagement or something like that because I I love talking to people. I, I mean I respond to nearly every question that's actually pertinent, you know, that anybody asks on any of the deer in the headlight sites or the general hit sites. Um, so I love talking to people, but I feel like uh, the quality of conversation is so severely diminished that I uh, I just kind of check out from it real easily. You know, or I, or this, like, I would rather do this, but you don't get to do this with everybody, you know, where it's like, I'd rather sit and talk to you about life and what's going on and what's happening for an hour rather than be like, hi, Tom, how are you? Oh, you have kids? Cool. Talk soon. Bye. You know what I mean? It, that drives me insane. Cause it's like, there's so much more to a person, you know, there's so much more to a human being that's far more enjoyable than that but then you get this little twinge of like but we did have a social interaction but why do i feel empty you know yeah (laughs) no it feels like it's almost like if if i came to phoenix and we hung out for a weekend we would have so much more than if we were digital pen pals i don't know it just feel like it would i loved i love that personal part about it and i think you mentioning those bands earlier those bands met 
through physical things. And yes, meeting digitally, I've met so many fucking bands. I've met my heroes because of email and Twitter. Yeah. But that, yeah. that, but back then, and I think you guys having that same sentiment, that personal connection to me is what had that scene really tight and had people connected in a different way. I kind of sometimes wonder where I even fall socially, you know, because I don't know how, I, I think we're roughly the same age. I'm 35. I don't know where you're at. But 38. 38. So, you know, for you and I, it was like internet came out when I was 15, you know, you were 18, you know? And so we're, we're this generation that's like, it was all old school, like dial up phone and everything before for half of our life. Mm-hmm. You know, and then now we're at this point where the other half of our life has been this super high technology, hyper connection thing. So for me, it's kind of, I've always felt like I'm stuck somewhere in between it always, you know, where it's just like, I really would just rather call you on the phone and talk, but like, I guess we could do the text thing if you want. I just don't feel like it's real connection, you know? So I like the, uh, I like the convenience of it. I like the ability to just be like, Hey, where are you at? Cool. Coming to meet you now. And, you know, I remember, you know, being a kid and you go to your friend's house and they're just not there and you don't know why. And then you call and you get a busy signal but remember um, the patients? Yeah. I, I, I've told this story a hundred times on the podcast. People can roll their eyes. But remember you would like meet me at the mall. What time? Two. Right. And everybody fucking got there. Right. <laughs> no fucking 17 text messages between everybody. Oh, I'm in the left lot. I'll see you at, uh, right. I'll see you at the right. Orange Julius. No, you fucking no, got there. No, because it's like you couldn't if, – because if, if you screwed up, you're lost. Yeah, you're lost. You know what I mean? You, and you're alone. You didn't, you didn't go see the movie then. You didn't, you didn't go. It's not like you could say, get me a ticket. I'm lost. It's, uh, we don't know where Ian is. So, uh, we're going to go into the movie anyway. And you missed Star Trek. Right. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I think with the, as the, those technologies came on, like it was cool. It was cool to see an immediate interaction from people that enjoyed the music, you know, where you could play a show and that person that maybe didn't get the chance to come talk to you or didn't you know, feel like they deserve to come talk to you or whatever trip people are on, you know, would could hit you up and be like, Hey, that was really, you know, one of the best shows I've ever seen. Thanks. And you'd actually get that message that day, you know, which is, which was crazy because never before had you had that, you know, option, but then, you know, it's weird. You gotta, you gotta kind of take it all with a, with a grain of salt too. It's cause it's like, you know, people can kind of kill you with compliments too. And mm-hmm. it's not, and then it's you know, this, it's it, 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 yeah, you're, it's, it, I always feel like it's that taste. It's not the taste case. It's the, uh, absolute punk message board that sort of, as soon as news went up, not the message board, but the comment section, excuse me. So if uh, any news goes up, 80% is going to be that fucking band sucks. 20% is that right. band is cool. And then you don't even see the people that never said anything, but all you look at is the negative. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of. Or, but that's just human nature, right? You know, it's like we could uh, we could have a great interview this whole time, and then at the end, I could be like, "Yeah, that was real fun, man." Next time, I wish you were a little more organized, and you'd be like, "What the fuck?" You know, like, <laughs> like oh man, I, I thought it was I, I thought it was going really well. That, oh shoot, like I guess he had a bad time. You know, even if I told you the whole time I was having a great time, you would just hear that. You know, at the end. So I think that like that kind of <laughs> that kind of stuff does come through, you know, where people, you know, I, luckily, I mean, the general hits record, everything has been so overwhelmingly positive online about it that I'm, I'm just kind of like, all right, cool. You know, I'm not, uh, you know, no one's seriously bummed, but I, I, dude, I was laughing about this the other day. Cause I was listening through a bunch of Otis writing songs and I got to like, you know, I I've been loving you too long. Right. So it's like, greatest Otis writing song it'll be like 30,000 plays in the last month you know 40 you know like 45 thumbs up two thumbs down you know and you're like who yeah who did that who the hell who thumbs down to Otis Redding like what <laughs> you don't you don't give a shit about the thumb up you know <laughs> it's like oh man two people didn't like this that's, yeah that's all that's you look not... at yeah why is that mm-hmm. I don't know. We're we're obsessed with uh, people are just obsessed with with being discontent. I think what I don't know. I was talking to my buddy Garrison at work the other night about it, and 
it was just kind of like, well, that's the, none of the world would even be discovered if people were super content with where they are. You know, it's just like, wow, look at this backyard. Isn't it great? Yeah. It's the only thing I ever need, you know, and then you could, the whole world could be there, but you wouldn't really care, you know, but it's like that, that discontent and that dissatisfaction with wherever you are always that kind of propels you at the same time to be more and do more and see more and become something different or better. You know, I don't know. It's, a, it's weird. I, I, I rest my case. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think, it, I mean, it, but I, but I think it plays back to you guys in a band and I didn't mean to start it negative with saying like what everything went wrong or you're at the wrong label. I don't think you were at the wrong label. Everybody loved you. It was the time that you guys put out that record. Was... It was like the beginning of the, of the major decline of, of record labels and sales. You know, this new economy like was developing where people could just steal it really easily. And it, it you know, it was dramatically affecting the labels, dramatically affecting how many bands they could even sign or bring on or try to get out to people, you know, and I feel like it was kind of this culmination of like, you know, we're stuck in this weird scene. We're on this weird label, like the record labels going down the, you know, there appears to be, you know, um, yeah, it's kind of just a strange spot, I guess. I in guess history. what's interesting too, is that first record. I mean, I've played it at the DJ night. I've had people mention it to me as, you know, I loved that record. Um, I was at Taste of Chaos this summer, and in between one of the bands, they played Sweet Talk, which was crazy. Um, <laughs> I was like, why do I know this? Holy shit, that's Deer in the Headlights. Uh, but that I think that record and your band sort of survived it a little bit. Did you feel any of that? Did you feel anybody as the band had broken up? Did you feel people mentioning or bringing it up recently? I think, um, yeah, I think, you know, like even still today, like I was looking at it the other day, it was like the, the deer in the headlights, like Spotify still gets like 60 or 70,000 plays a month. Wow. You know? So it's like, there's this whole, like, group of people out there that are still just listening to it all the time that have never you know, probably but I, but seen you no probably never seen us play probably never yeah i feel like the band gained more popularity like people like it caught on more after it was already done well that's what i'm you know, saying kind of that's that thing yeah. where i think people like you were in it and the people that might have gotten into it were sort of maybe maybe it wasn't in the right place but because of what it was it people found it and yeah. attached to it. And, you know, if it was sweet talk or paper bag or whatever the song, you know, off small steps, heavy hooves connects and they put it on a playlist or they played it for their friend. And th I think that to me, when I started hearing those things being like, wait, you remember deer in the headlights? Like, wow. Right. Like what happened? Right. Where did that, are you on some magic playlist that everybody has to listen to, to get into high school? Like, I don't know, whatever that is. <laughs> You know, people people are finding it, and you said you're on Spotify, but has anything else happened where you feel like, oh my god, I think people heard our band or hurt? I'm not saying no one did, but you're telling me there's that many plays on Spotify. That's crazy. Well, I mean, I, I I even I've seen other stuff too that you know kind of baffles me. So I I honestly don't I don't know the actual like reach of my music at all. I have no concept of it you know i saw on one like on pirate bay like on one mini nova site i saw small steps had been downloaded uh like two hundred thousand times wow you know and it was just one mini nova torrent you know but it was like that so i'm just i'm looking at I'm like so at least two hundred thousand people stole it you know and <laughs> another uh, thirty thousand people bought it you know, I'm getting 70,000 plays a month, but, but I'm not seeing anything from any of it. It's not like I'm getting like a check or something. It's like BMI will send me a check for like 250 bucks, like every six months, you know? Yeah. So it's not really like, it's not really like I, I'm not, there's no energy coming back where it's like, yeah, so many people are into this band and supporting it or any of that, you know, it's kind of just like, I really don't know. I, you know, I don't know where it's at. I, 
but I can't really be focused on that at all. I just, I just want to keep putting out music and I eventually, if it becomes clear that people know about it, then cool. (laughs) It seems like a lot of people do. I just have no idea. I have no grasp. I I think what's really cool is that we are in this world where it isn't us when we're 18 without the internet. And maybe these records would have been dusty on a shelf and they're in the CD bin for 99 cents. Well, guess what? They're not. They're everywhere. They're on YouTube. They're on Spotify. So a kid can find it and then in turn find you plus the gentle hits. Um, right, and right. I, that's actually kind of an interesting thing that you were sort of doing the work back then. And, um, it, it wasn't for not, um, there's, you know, people were still finding out about it. I think the other part, I guess, you know, people probably wondering like, what have you been up to? Uh, you know, kind of, um, we lost touch, you know, usually a lot of these bands, you know, yeah. keep in touch with and chat with, we had lost touch. So what happened? Um, you guys obviously had, had broken up, um, what sort of had happened since you, someone went back to school, I, I believe, like what, what was sort of the, yeah, everyone kind of just split and, and went our separate ways. I mean, we, um, we decided to call the band off. Um, PJ really wanted to just start making other music and doing different, just different style of music altogether. Uh, wanted to start writing his own songs and doing solo stuff. And, um, you know, Robert just kind of went off and, ended up having a, a kid and um just kind of working and no not really playing music anymore uh, everybody else is kind of working and not playing music anymore except for me and mark um and then i i left i moved up to to washington my my wife was really tired of arizona and uh i'd kind of was over it too and really just being in the band was the only thing that was kind of anchoring me to be there and so we took this crazy risk essentially. And, and, uh, we had $5,000 and, and just drove up to Washington to just start over. Really? Yeah. And so, <laughs> so like, didn't have a place to stay, didn't have a job lined up, didn't have, uh, any bit of security. And yeah, we had, that sounds euphoric. <laughs> and in a way, but, uh, you know, but also like, extremely terrible we had two children as well oh, okay at that point that you know? so then it's that, like all of a sudden it, that's it takes not this of like wait that's extremely irresponsible <laughs> <laughs> i think that's i think i think that's a start of like a 48 hours ep- episode the, the parents left arizona and drove right to washington with two yeah, kids. like these these idiots t- left with five grand and two kids and acted like they were going to start something else you know but it, uh but it was crazy because you know like my daughter learned we we took a we basically camped up the coast for a month on the way up there and uh that was amazing so it's like my my daughter like my my six year old now she like learned to walk in the redwood forest you know so wow just, like took took her first steps there and you know so it was just some like I saw you know just crazy crazy cool stuff the whole way up but then we got to Washington um, my wife's parents lived in Canada but it was like a nearly like an hour and a half or two hour drive into Canada to get to their house so it was kind of like we can stay there, but you can't stay in Canada for very long, you know? So it's like, so we were like crashing there and then I would like drive back down to Bellingham, Washington and try to find a job during the day and then (laughs) go back without any luck. But it went on for probably two weeks after we got there. And then I was getting desperate because it was, you know, like five grand doesn't really go that far. And, you know, so I got on Craigslist and, saw that there was a job for um, pulling weeds in a blueberry field. And dude was like 10 bucks an hour, you know, just need this thing done. It was this guy had owned this blueberry field and got uh, his, his visa got taken away. And so he, he lived in Canada and wasn't able to cross the border to get to his Washington owned field that he had just planted. So all these weeds had grown up around everything and uh, basically hired me and a couple other guys on to just be on our hands and knees pulling weeds down these rows that were like 600 yards long and just like up and down the whole thing um, for a good eight or 10 hours a day. And I did that for, yeah. um, Yeah. So it was kind of, it was funny. It was like 
to go from being on tour and doing all this great stuff to then find yourself just pulling weeds in a field for like 10 bucks an hour and <laughs> trying to figure out what you're going to do and start over in this new place. Um, I ended up getting a job. So while I, while I was doing the blueberry thing and back and forth, I would go and apply at other places too. And I got a job at uh, Trader Joe's in Bellingham. And so I ended up just working there and my wife and I found a cabin out in the woods. It was a wood heated cabin. So we had to, you know, prep for winter and, or, you know, <laughs> it was crazy. Like, cause you, I grew up in Arizona, you know, so it's just desert and suburbs and, you know, just typical suburb living essentially. And we just moved straight out to the middle of the woods, got this like wood heated cabin down a dirt road, you know, at the back of 20 acres and, and there was nothing behind us, just national forest and like a creek ran through the backyard and it was completely removed from society. Essentially you could see the whole galaxy at night, you know, in the sky and, um, an incredible place, but, but it was intense to kind of transport yourself back to the 1800s all of a sudden mm-hmm. <laughs> where your, your living experience goes. I guess luckily we had plumbing and all that kind of stuff, but <laughs> you know, I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have uh phone service at all when I was at the house. Uh, I, I would get it like halfway into town. And, um, so yeah, for, for the good, good first year up there, I'd have to, to make a phone call, I'd have to like drive into town and like go to the library and use their like Wi-Fi connection. And yeah. So that's probably why we were in uh, touch. That's probably Yeah. You, it wasn't even possible to talk to me for about a year. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the, um, you kind of telling that sort of your, you know, making those sacrifices and you're as a family, you've got other people that you're relying on or that, that are relying on you. And, you know, I just, I just fascinating for me to be like, my last memory of you is on stage, you know, playing it like warp tour. And then to have another visual of you picking weeds. Um, right. again, it's like, there's those, in, it's, it's family first, right? I mean, that you have yeah, to, I mean, you, you do what you got. You, you just do whatever you have to do at, at a certain point. You know, I don't think, I mean, especially with, the way it seems the economy is going and the massive disparity between wealth is is ridiculous. But, you know, when you've got a family, you don't have time to worry about all of the the politics and all of the the nonsense that is going on with that. You just have to try to work for whatever you can and and make it happen if it's not happening, you know? So yeah, a a a lot of stuff goes out the window when like that, that extreme intense, responsibility to another person takes over, you know? So after a year, were you still living in the cabin? Were you still at Trader Joe's? Did you get a system manager? Like that, I mean, that's yeah. like, did you start moving up? Like, I didn't mean that as a joke. Like, did you like, move no, up? no. Yeah. So it took a real bad turn. Like we had this amazing experience and basically we had gone up there to kind of, um, transform ourselves as people and kind of start, start over without having any sort of references and, you know, it's amazing when you go to a new place and nobody knows you at all because you're just, you're not even changed to any perception of you in any way. You know, it's like there aren't people that used to know you when you were 15 and are a little disappointed with how you've turned out or, you know, whatever. So it, you can start over entirely and we were having that experience. It was cool. It was kind of like, no, you know, nobody knew I was in a band. I didn't, you know, living in Arizona, it's like, well, you're in that band that's touring and stuff, not all these other local bands get that opportunity and you know you'd go to a restaurant and be like hey are you in deer in the headlights or whatever you know and you're having that experience to go from like nobody knows you or cares at all about what you do or or what you're into and it was kind of refreshing in a way because you really could just be you again like it's almost like you were eight years old again or something and it didn't really matter what your personality was or what your you know, you're just kind of trying to live your life. And, um, you know, then we were there for two years and, uh, we actually had our third, I've got three girls. We had our third daughter at the cabin. We had her in the tub at the cabin. <laughs> we had a, are you still there? Oh, I'm here. I'm just, I'm just enjoying oh, good, this. Good. <laughs> yeah. So we had, um, 
Traffic dead silent on the other left. Mesmerized, Ian. I'm mesmerized. <laughs> uh, so we had our third daughter out there, but then shortly after that, I I called my mom on her birthday, actually, and um, just extremely uh, weird phone call that was just like, hey, mom, just calling to wish you a happy birthday. And um, she's like, uh, yeah, that's that's nice, hon. Uh, I'm going to call you back, okay? And I was just like, oh, all right. You know, and then she just hung up. And uh, it just you kind of get that sinking feeling, you know, where that just, you know, something's up, something's weird. And uh, she called me back and was just like, yeah, um, my stepdad who raised me, his name is Jeff. Um, he, she's like, he passed out at work and uh, I don't know, he was giving a speech and, and fell down at work and now we're at the hospital and they're running tests. And so they, uh, they ran a couple of tests and a guy came in and was just like, you, you know, he has cancer, right? In addition to this infection you have on your leg. And he's just like, no, I didn't, you know, and it was just, weird, it was a weird, uh, abrupt interaction. There was kind of this, um, young medical student that I don't know if he was just trying to make an impression or, or just trying to, um, look smart in front of the other doctors, but he just kind of blurted it out without any discretion. You know, so he's, he's looking at these charts in the room and my mom's sitting there and she's telling me the story and they're kind of waiting to hear from the real doctor. And he looks at the charts and goes, Oh, you have cancer. Oh God. And like, and yeah. And turns around to my, my mom and my mom just flipped out on the dude. and was like, get this guy the hell out of here. I want to see the real doctor now. I don't even know who the, you know, expletive this person is. And, you know, so boots the guy out and then basically they're just like, yeah, I'm really sorry you had to hear it that way, but you have liver and pancreatic cancer. And, uh, it was, you know, it was already like stage three or four at that point. And so, um, pretty much I, I at that moment I made plans to come down and visit cause he was going to be in the hospital for the next like two weeks. Where was so, that? Uh, in Arizona. So back to so, Arizona. Yeah. Yeah, so I took a flight back from Washington to Arizona and came down to try to help my mom with, I don't know if you've ever had someone super close to you be in the hospital, but where it's like, you're trying to run to their house and take care of their pets and get food for everybody at the hospital. And, you know, it just turns into this big, yeah, no, big just, to do, you know. Yeah, uh, three months ago, I lost my dad. And so, oh, I'm sorry, and so but I, the same thing you said, where you get there and you sort of just get into work mode. And you're like, all right, well, mom needs this. The dog needs to do this. The other family members need this. I need to do, you start kind of, you get into the, you get into the work mode of trying to help. I mean, it's, it's, it's that same, basically what we were saying earlier, you just start doing what you need to do yep. to, to make everything okay. You know? So it was like, you know, so I started doing that process on my end too. It was like, all right, I'm going to go out and visit. I came out, I saw him and the doctors were still kind of giving us this, run around like, well, it could be five years. You know, you might have five years left. It could be 10. We don't really know. We don't know what to tell you. And the reality was we had two months, wow. you know? So, so from the time that he got diagnosed to the time he passed two months. And within that time period, I had basically just like wrapped Washington all up entirely. Like got myself transferred down from Trader Joe's to a store in Tempe, Arizona, you know, found a place to live in Arizona and just like uprooted the family again and drove 1900 miles straight back down. And so we moved back down after two years. And then my, I got back down and four days later, uh, my dad passed. So, um, that was kind of the start of, that was, that was the first four years essentially of during the headlights being over was, you know, we had a couple, a couple of years just kind of hanging in Arizona, feeling tired of it. And then we took off and went up there for two years and then my dad passed and we were kind of forced to come back down. And so at that point, um, I had just decided, well, I'm, I'm back here. So I, and I don't really know what else to do. I mean, I, it's probably real raw for you right now, just that your, your dad passed only three months ago, but. And it was from cancer uh, too. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's like 80% of everyone's experience. It seems like, 
But like, you know, you get this feeling though, all of a sudden of what's really important yeah. and what really, what really actually matters to you. And it really hyper focuses your life and, and prioritizes the entire thing immediately. Um, for what it's worth, you know, for what your entire life is worth and what you should really do with your, and it, I, it always comes back to relationships and, and the connections that you make with people. I feel like that's kind of what it, it did for me, you know, so it focused me back in this way where it's like, I just, all I care about is people and making music. So I don't know what I'm doing with this random grocery store stuff or whatever. I, I'm, I've always had to work these jobs. I'm a waiter now, you know, I still, wait tables five or six nights a week, you know, but I, that's a side note. It just kind of reprioritized me doing music again completely and, and really trying hard to get to that point where you're actually going to put out records for other people to see and stuff. You know, the entire time I was up in Washington, I was writing this album. And so it was a cool, the album is half and half essentially because the first half is is really about me going up there and trying to transform myself and my personality and and grow as a person. But then I I had that experience where it's like wherever you go, there you are, you know, type of a thing. And so I kind of started to realize like, oh, a lot of the problems I'm really having are just me, and it's not uh, necessarily anybody else's fault. And um, and so there was this clarity of like all right, like I can actually see these things now and focus on these things and change these things about myself. Um, and then that was all immediately interrupted by this massive, you know, illness and, and hospital thing that just suddenly happened. And so the record kind of follows the same trajectory and, and uh, you know, the kind of the halfway point, um, this death happens and, and, uh, it just kind of goes from there. It talks about that. The, there's a song on the record that's uh, called Mr. Davis, and that's my, my stepdad's last name, um, but that's a song that I played at his funeral. When I came to see you You were confused and weak Drifting in and out of sleep And you struggled to speak And, um, you know, so, so then from that point, there's kind of, it kind of lifts out of there and, and goes more towards the, the focusing of, you know, all right, it's time to kind of get back to what I really care about and really go after it and really um, try to make it happen because our, our time is so incredibly short and unpredictable and uh, there's no guarantee at all except that you will die. You know, and so what what moment in all of that did you, you know, because you said a lot where you said I needed to grow up and I needed to see what was the moment that you said, I need to fucking stop doing this. I got this is what I got to, you know, I need to I mean, what were, was there a moment or was it just over a month or what was the um, the moment of stopping and doing what exactly? What more you of you being, to... I guess the question is when you said you, you were going to change things. When was that? Yeah, moment? I. You know, I think like to me, it's kind of the, um, that the moment of needing to know, I, it's like, I, we left Arizona because my wife was so agitated and annoyed with Arizona and wanted to leave. And so I, I kind of started to feel that same thing, you know, where it's like, we've been here forever. It's just the same thing. It's just strip malls and movie theaters and suburbs, you know, and (laughs) which Trust me, the rest of America is the exact same thing. <laughs> but we kind of had this belief that we could go up there and do that. So I, I kind of followed her in that. And it was more of a trade-off because, you know, for the last four or five years, she had just been here while I was touring around the country and playing these shows and doing all this stuff. So I felt like, well, I kinda, now I'm not doing that and she wants to do this other thing, so I should honor that and and let have her have her time period of doing this thing that she wants to try, you know? So when we got up there, it was kind of that feeling of like, yeah, like screw Arizona, like let's get out of there. And then 
I got there and I just, I just, it was so quiet, dude, in the woods that you could, you, the chatter of your mind sounded blaringly loud. You know, where it's like you could walk out into the woods and it would be dead silent and your mind is just like, I don't know why that guy said that to me at the gas station. That was super annoying. That guy was a dick. Man, if, if I go back down there again and he says that shit again, I'm going to, you know, and then you're running through this bullshit. It's like, look around you. There's, this place is gorgeous. You know, there's beautiful things growing everywhere. And you're pissed about something that happened an hour ago. Some random dude that you don't even know or probably ever see again. You know, and so it was kind of just this wake-up call for me that was like, I got to stop just being this monkey to, like, the chatter in my mind. You know, I have to, I've got to find some way to, you know, because all these thoughts happen, but they're not necessarily true. They're just loud. You know, and so I think it's so easy to mistake <clears throat> so many of your thoughts for true just because you had them. You know, with your, um, be it with insecurities or, or whatever you have, you, you create these beliefs and you think, well, I thought it, so it must really be real. And I, I realized up there that my mind was spitting a lot of shit out that wasn't true or real or based on anything except self doubt or insecurity or anger or, you know, anything else that kind of plagues you from feeling happy, you know, and so. Um, I guess it was just there, you know, essentially it was just, it came up somewhere and the, it wasn't a, it wasn't like a rock hit me in the head type of a thing, you know, but it was enough days of silence and just hearing myself blabber on and totally waste the beautiful moment, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. And then for you, the, you know, the, the, you talk about the first half and the second half of, of, of the record and you know, focusing on what you wanted to do, which was make music. And that was in a positive way. Um, you sort of yeah. moving away from the negative thoughts and focusing on something that you love. I, I guess more on a scale of, of getting it to the point again, where other people could enjoy it, mm-hmm. you know, cause there's, there's this part of me that's like, if I never have the funding, if I never have the, the, um, shipping or whatever's necessary to get it out to people, I'll still be making it. It's just that no one will hear it, you know? And so I think, you know, for me, it was more this decision of like, you know what? I do have a talent at this thing. It's probably the only thing that I'm, that I would consider myself very good at. And it's, it's a waste if I'm not trying to put it out there and trying to have it be what I get to do with my life. Cause otherwise I'm just working as a waiter or I'm doing these other tasks. I'm giving my, my time and my, experience over to um someone else's idea and what they wanted to what they wanted to start and what they wanted to be you know a part of and and then by the time you get home from that you're so exhausted that it's it's often hard to work on your own ideas you know right now you just worked who knows how many hours but luckily you're an amazing dude that's still willing to put on a podcast that you've decided you wanted to try and make it happen you know yeah, the, it was funny. There was a meeting in that meeting that I was there for two hours. I was telling you about earlier. There was a thing where we had to go around the room and tell each other what we did, and then we had to talk about our favorite TV show. And I got to me, and I go, I actually don't really watch TV. <laughs> I was like, I was like, uh, I watch a lot of sports on my iPad, and I lo- I listen to podcasts. And right. it was kind of funny because everybody and there's nothing wrong against. TV or anything, but my mind, and maybe you feel the same way, where if I get done with something, I want to focus on something I want to do. And yes, there's yeah. nights where I just want to be, you know, mindless and not do anything. But there's those other nights where you're just like, no, I need to fucking do this. And you're not tired. You're not, um, yeah. and you, you're so excited about that. And for you having that feeling again, again, after all of the shit you went through with those two records and touring and I mean, it's those feelings have to flood back. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, and I, and to me, it, it really just comes back through the songwriting process and really like delving heavily into that again. You know, I I often felt like I I'm this guy that's always in the front man role, but just kind of 
never really planned on being a frontman ever, you know, type of a thing. And, and so, um, the show side of things doesn't, uh, make me extremely excited or something, you know, it's weird. Cause, uh, it's this love hate sort of thing. I, cause I feel so much anxiety about jumping back into that world of like playing shows and getting up in front of a bunch of people and, and performing. But the, the moment that I start playing my instrument, it all disappears, you know, it immediately goes away and I'm able to just like, go into this whole other world for a good hour or whatever long we, we play the set. And, and afterward, I feel like I've kind of like transcended all of that anxiety and, and, you know, grief and fear and, and whatever about it. And, and feel like the best I've ever felt, you know? So it's kind of this funny feeling where it's like, I never, ever actually get that feeling I get now. Cause I'm not playing shows, you know, but I think, uh, that feeling comes really strongly for me during the process of writing songs, creating songs. Um, you know, it's just this, there's nothing better than having an idea, seeing it come to life, putting energy, throwing energy at it, and then being like, it's done. And then you can just enjoy it. It's this physical thing that is now in the world that you can interact with. And that you created you this. Yeah. You create and you, you just have this feeling that just, it feels completely fulfilled you know and it wasn't there before it wasn't there before and i I feel like yeah i I get that during the hour that i'm on stage i get that during the time that i'm creating music you know there's a couple other um i guess activities you know there's certain people that i can spend time with where it it feels that way you know where it's just like i can hang out with this person forever and it it would never bother me Mm -hmm. you know but that anxiousness uh, for you have you learned to control it? Have you focused it another way or have you tried to channel that feeling? Yeah. Help? Yeah. I mean, I think my music, my, my music is an intense reflection of that. You know, it's just, it's a lot of it is just dealing with, um, so much, so many aspects of my personality that are difficult for me. You know, it's just situations that are difficult for me, situations that bring up, um, feelings of, you know, anger and anxiety and, and fear and um, and it just kind of laying them out and saying them out loud, you know, is, the, is really the process of of writing the songs. Um, but it's cool because you can use language to uh, to paint the, the picture so much more strong that matches more to the feeling you're having. You know, you can say, I feel sad, but if that just conjures up like a little picture of a tear emoji, you know, it doesn't really take you anywhere, but if you can describe like, you know, a landscape or something that <laughs> emanates total sadness and that's the landscape of your mind, I don't know, it becomes a more powerful uh, image, you know? So I, I love that. I, don't know, I heard some, I heard George Carlin or something say the other day, on a, a quote that was like, all of our thoughts are in language. So if your vocabulary is suffering, then your your form of being able to express yourself is entirely suffering as well because you don't you don't even have the words to explain how you're feeling to anybody you know and so I think to me that's the best part about music and and poetry and um, learning to kind of delve into the language and what it what it can do for for your mind you know because it it really you know the more words you know the more uh, the more metaphors you you grasp and, and understand the more you're able to get close to what it is you're actually experiencing. And with, with, with making the new, with making this record for the gentle hits, you having, you know, this was about a lot. This was about change. This was about love. This was about death. I mean, I, these, uh, these themes happen, but I think for you, it was, it was not only happening in one city. It was like you were in so many different places. You were coming off of, another life and you were trying to start another and that uprooted again. Um, yeah. It just seems like, you know, obviously that's a great way to write a record. You know, you've got all these things going on, but it also is cathartic. It helps. It helps yeah. work through it. You having that song for, I mean, I, I wrote a eulogy, you know, for my dad and it was like, yeah. you know, it just, it, I, I, I wrote it without any effort. 
it just came. I had it. I right. knew what I wanted to say. There was a theme to that, it. That's and how that song, that song came the same way. Right? It, it just, just came because it was inside already. Yeah. Yep. Completely. Yeah, you feel like you're almost... But it's that, it's that spot that it takes you. I mean, death takes you to that place of like all your creative and emotional energy gets hyper-focused. So it, it condenses it, you know, where it's just like, you can sit down to write that eulogy for your dad because you're just like, all right, no problem. I will pour out 38 years of my love and, and care for this person right now because that's what you feel so intensely within yourself that it, it's almost trapped at that point. If you didn't write that eulogy, you'd, do, you'd be doing worse, you know? Yeah. What well, was interesting too was it was, uh, you know, my mom and my sister were not kind of, I was helping a lot of those sort of memorabilia like thought things. Like my sister couldn't be in the house. And I mean, all these things kind of happen with family. Certain people deal with it a certain way. Mm-hmm. I was so hyper focused on making sure everybody knew who my dad was. I spent like an afternoon figuring out um, what stuff of his to showcase. And it was like, (laughs) you know, someone had sent a letter to him because he was a teacher or you, you know, I had memorabilia of sports things or these things that I knew people. It was like, but it was so clear. Like there was no, um, there was no waiting. And I think you telling about that song, it just, it just, it, it, it was there. And I think that's that interesting thing that's. Yes, you you yes, uh, you know life is precious, and you know, but you still yell at the guy at line for some reason, and you forget yeah, it for a yeah. second. But that it's it's there inside, and it's just like somehow figuring out how to channel that more to remember um, what's important. And that's the hardest part, right? You know, because you you get hit with it so hard, and it seems so easy when it's raw like that, you know. But then several months go by routines come back in and that it, it slips, you know, it slips, it slips back a bit and it's almost like you kind of have to go back into some other mode of functioning just to get through daily life. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure how it works. I just, sometimes I, you know, I, I was talking to my wife about this the other night, but sometimes I get really annoyed when I get online and I look at, it's like, top seven ways to smile where people know you care or like, you know, (laughs) top eight ways to know you're not depressed, you know, or like there's always just like a, a top 10 list for every type of uh, feeling or social engagement, you know, that you could improve upon somehow. And sometimes I just kind of wonder if, if uh, people slip back into these other modes, not because, we don't all desperately want to optimize ourselves, but just that it's a part of the the mechanism of being alive. You know, you can't, who do you turn into if you're always experiencing what death brings about? You know, yeah, it's not that, like we're going to be, it's not like you we're sad all the time. Um, right. But there's a, a, it comes and goes and you kind of have to suppress it, but then you can also embrace it and think about it and talk about it. Um, and, and, you know, if, and if you're at that point where you, everything is so precious to you every moment of your life and you're trying to aim for some sort of level of perfection where it's like, I'm always in tune with every breath I'm having and how important it is. I think that's a crock too. I don't, I don't think you can get there. I, I think that like, it, it's just someone selling you on some other form of optimization of your being. It's like, you, you don't, you don't even know what it is to love right until you've lost you know it's like it, it all becomes so clear and you and there's always the, there's always this opposite force that allows you a clarity you know it's got, it's like a town's van zant you know there, there ain't no dark till something shines you know it's like a country line you know but like it, it's it is that feeling where it's like you you can't always stay in the same spot you can't always be the same thing and when these events do come up you do have to to engage with them as fully as possible you know have you thought about things a year out or you didn't, I forgot when you mentioned if, if when your stepdad had passed away, but have things changed as the, has, has the years passed or. Yeah. I mean, it's gotten, you know, at first I just felt really lost, you know, it's kind of like this, this, um, my stepdad passing away was, was the guy that had always, he'd always, he'd been there since I was two years old, you know? So it was, it was just this feeling of like, 
the, the person who's shown me how to be a man and how to live in this world and like engage with other people as a dude is gone now. And, and it's like, you don't, you kind of don't know even where to begin. It's like, am I, I don't know if I'm ready to take over is that I guess I am. Cause he did show me all of it, you know, well, but did you notice, like I've noticed where there are things and situations where I hear him saying, this is what right. you do and this is what you do. And you didn't think of it when you were 16 or 18. No, it, it never, it never hit you. You're, you're there and you're like, fucking A, he told me that. <laughs> yeah, he was he was right. He was totally right. I thought he was being such a dick. Yeah, he was dead on. <laughs> fucking A, he was right. But it wasn't even like, a, it was more of the moments. The thing I hate the most is there are times where I want to be like, hey, I want to tell him about, oh, I can't. Right, that's the worst. But yeah, that, you go to grab for the, your phone instinctually, and you're just uh, you're yeah. like, oh right, I can't. But that you're totally yeah. right. Those your those things happen from when you were two through wherever that you that was like ingrained, and I think that's kind of the cool thing that you're doing with your kids right now. Yeah, yeah, unknowingly too. You know, it's just like your your style and your personality just completely gets rubbed off on these guys you know that's <laughs> like, right there too <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah i mean so you know for me with that with the the record it just kind of you know it was this moment of him passing and then me dealing with that you know I mean, it didn't get any easier past that it's like we were still i was still trying to get this band together i was still trying to get people to play with me and and uh then realizing like well i'm working at a grocery store i make you know, thirteen sixty five an hour. Uh, you know, what am I, how am I going to even afford a record? How am I going to even make this thing happen again? You know, so we, we got some guys to play with and decided we were going to go down to the studio and check it out. And they, you know, they quoted us $15,000, you know, we could do this record. So it could take three weeks. And I'm like, okay, so I have to take three weeks off of work. Uh, not possible. And, you know, come up with 15 grand, also not possible. Um, and so we just decided, well, um, maybe we should just record it ourselves. You know, and so it, it turned into this um, kind of this crazy thing where we, we, all of us had kind of been studying audio engineering and, and maybe owned a mic or two. I was lucky enough to have a guy loan me a, like a preamp, you know, like an eight channel preamp that I could, and I bought Pro Tools for myself, and so I was practicing on there and trying to learn recording. I was out in the garage every night for like two years after my dad died, trying to figure out recording and basically be like, "Well, I'm I'm putting this record out, but I have to learn to be an audio engineer now first." And it's already been four years, four years since I put any music out. <laughs> you know, so like. By the time I had come back from Washington, I had most of these songs finished and and written. Um, so a lot of these songs have already been finished um, for three or four years. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it, that entire time, I was just trying to learn audio engineering with, with James and, and Mark. And, um, you know, so it's crazy. And so then we spent um, we spent a year recording it because we only had Wednesdays or Friday mornings to work on it, you know, cause everybody's got their, their jobs and yeah. their schedules and their life. So yeah, we were just completely um, slowed down in the process by lack of funds and, and uh, lack of knowledge to be able to produce something that we were proud of. But dude, after four years of studying really, really hard every day, learning to use microphones and uh, learning to mix and learning these other things that we, we I think we made a kick-ass sounding record, dude. I, I'm really, really happy with it. I think, uh, I don't know. I'm even more proud of this record than even any of the deer in the headlight stuff, just cause I, you know, James and Mark and I chose every single guitar tone, you know, every single drum sound, every single, you know, it's like we, we, we were able to custom pick all of those things and, and produce the entire thing ourselves, you know? So it was just extremely rewarding, even though it took a process of eight years of just shit going on, you know, 
life having yeah having kids and and losing family members and um you know all kinds of just different financial crises it was just pretty pretty absurd but um i don't know it's kind of funny it's like we this record i guess we'll just see where it goes from here you know we've already got uh i've already got another record written after this and we've we own the gear now to make this stuff so i'm thinking that you know if we can just get a get a little bit of support and a little bit of um you know attention or or uh, recognition or something for the record we might be able to start putting a lot more music out a lot more quickly it's, which is which is our goal you know I'd, I'd like to put out a record every year and i think i've slowly been working myself towards making that happen Washed Up Emo fans, thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years, or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening, and for this current episode you're about to hear. I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted volume one so you can order both check out the diy publishing at anthologyofemo.com